Hello, Sawbona, how's it? Molo, Jambo, and welcome to Every Nation Devon Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. We've started a series called Old School Gospel. And uh, in this series, we've been uh, looking at some of the less favorable words that make up the gospel. Words that are actually knitted into the fabric of what the gospel is, but... Because society has changed so much over the years, these words have become so unpopular in our generation. And they are the words of sacrifice, humility, authority, morality, and eternity. These are not words that our generation values much anymore. And we started off the series talking about the word sacrifice and how that's knitted into the fabric of the gospel. Last week, we spoke about humility, and God did something special, I believe, in our hearts. There was a powerful moment last week where the Holy Spirit really showed up here, and and we were all brought to our knees, and we all humbled ourselves before God, and it was beautiful. And uh, I trust, I was just walking in the in the glory of that this week, and just really saying, like, Lord, that's that's all we want. We just want to be a people under you. Amen? A people that you can use. Israel. Amen? Today, the word that we want to speak is the word about is the word authority. Can you say authority? authority. <laughs> now, authority in our generation has also become a yak word, but it is a word that makes up the gospel. It is a word that's knitted into the fabric of the gospel. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is ascribed, which comes from faith and it leads to faith. Can you repeat after me and say this? Romans 1 verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Repeat after me. Say it. Romans 1 verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe, even you. <laughs> Tell them, where did you find that? Romans 1 verse 16. Amen. All right, take your seat. Take your seat. <laughs> as unpopular as some of these words are, we have to remember that they make up the gospel and we're not ashamed of the gospel. We have to protect the gospel. We have to make sure that we're looking after the gospel in our generation, preaching the whole gospel and living gospel-centered lives. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. Let's not dilute it. Let's not take anything away from it. Amen. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. It's the message that the world needs to hear, even if the world doesn't want to hear it. All right. Amen. So this word we're looking at is this word authority. Now, Authority is a yuck word, amen? I don't know what images come to your mind when I say the word authority, but typically we think of that teacher or that headmaster 
or that person who, you know, was in authority and they just like really messed up our lives in some way. Authority has become in our generation a word that we, we, we don't like anymore. I mean, there used to be a time in society where people in government were respected and honored for their position and for the authority that they carry. Today, we laugh at them, we make jokes about them, cartoons about them, disrespectful paintings about them. You know, we, we, do, we do all sorts of things like that. There was a time in society where teachers were honored. They commanded the respect of children. Today, teachers are having a hard time in our schools. It's like our kids do not respect authority. There used to be a time in society where police were honored for the position that they held. Now we look at the police, we're like suspicious. Like, why are they asking me to do this? Well, because they're the police. <laughs> but, like we, but yeah, but police, you know, police, we can't really trust them anymore. And it's true, you know, that, that, that authority has been abused. That's the reason why we are like this. You know, we, we've seen financial abuse. We've seen corruption in authority. We've seen sexual abuse. We've seen nepotism. We've seen so many, all those in authority falling and doing all these bad things. And so we sit there and we look at all of this and we're like, well, how can we trust them? How can we look up to them? How can we give them any sort of honor? Because they've always disappointed us. They've always disillusioned us. And I'll go as far as to say in the South African context, we're even very angry at authority. You can see it as coming out in protests, riots, strikes. There's this anger at authority. It's like we do not want to submit to authority. We, we, and a lot of it in South Africa even leads to violence and destruction of property and, and even lives getting destroyed. Why? Because we do not want to submit to them. Because we do not want to obey them. Authority has, in many ways, become a yak word something that we don't really respect. And, and when we, we think about authorities and authority figures in our lives, we don't even at the point, we're at the point now even society where we don't even see our obligation to honor and obey in as much as we see our right to be served by authority. And you know what? Into all of this mess comes the gospel. <laughs> and in the gospel, we see Jesus arriving and he's proclaiming the kingdom of heaven and he's proclaiming the way to salvation. And it's interesting, it's the good news that God is forgiving sins. It's this great message that's going out. It's like, wow, it's everything we need. It's eternal life. It's, it's access to God. It's like, God, this is the gospel. It's an amazing story. But notice what Jesus says when we have to accept the gospel. He says, repent and believe. Like, here's this incredible message, but in order for you to have it and access it, you have to do what? Repent. What does repent mean? It means submit. It means obey. It means come under the authority of God. It means you have to turn away from doing things your own way. It means you have to stop. You have to give up your own way of life, your own way of being right, and you have to enter into the story of God. You have to submit. You have to repent in order to come and access the gospel. The gospel demands us to obey God. 
Jesus said this in, in Luke chapter 6. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? He demands respect and he demands obedience. And if you're going to say Jesus is Lord, then there needs to be something in your life that reflects that. Otherwise, don't call him Lord. If he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all in your lives. There is obedience there. There is submission there. There is respect there. There is honor there. You have to honor that in order to access what the gospel says. Not only that, in Matthew chapter 7, there are going to be many people who come to Jesus on that day saying, oh, Jesus, we oh, we'd see now you're the king, and okay, yeah, well, well, you're the man, okay, so, and we did this in your name, and we did this in your name, and he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You workers of wickedness, you, for disregarding my commands, you disregard my commands. What is Jesus after? He's after our obedience. He said, if you really, if, in, in, in John 15, he said, if you love me, then obey my commands. Everyone who teaches his commands will be counted as great in the kingdom. So this gospel message comes into our reality. Our reality is one where there's just disrespect for authority. We don't trust authority. We're disillusioned with authority. And here comes Jesus with a message about authority. And it demands from us in order to, to obey it, to submit to it, to come under it in order to access what it has for our lives. And so here comes the gospel into our crazy, messed up world where we don't trust authority. And what is our response? Well, if you're wise, you would obey. <laughs> you would submit. You would see that you'd recognize God as authority and you'd submit your life and come under his authority. Why? Because there's so much there. There's so much blessing there. You'd give your life to him and you'd give him the honor, you'd give him the respect that, he do, that is due to his name. And not only to him, but to God, but to the son of God because no one can be saved except through Jesus Christ. And not only to the son of God, but also to the word of God. Thanks, Ayanda, who knows the Bible backwards. We're to obey God. We're to obey the Son of God, but we are also to obey the Word of God. If we want to access everything in the kingdom, people, we have to obey this. It demands obedience from us. And not only are we meant to obey the Word of God, and the Son of God and God Himself, but we're also to obey every authority structure that He has established in the earth as well. One amen. That was good. I heard that line. This is where it gets ouch for us. Romans chapter 13. Take a look at the scripture for a moment. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities, rebelling against God, against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. <laughs> so, Submitting to God, yes, pastor, we can do that. Submitting to Jesus, yes, we can do that. He's the perfect 
You know, he's the perfect one. He's the great one. The word of God, yes, we can submit to the word of God. We can obey what's in there because it's wise and it's wisdom and we can see that. But authorities and every authority that you've established in the world, come on, people. Am I the only one who feels uncomfortable with the scripture? Jesus, have you seen my team leader at work? Do you know the management in my business? Management don't care about us. They put unrealistic demands on us. They're lazy. They're incompetent. They, don't, they never even show up. They're not even doing anything, and they expect us to do everything. They're, they're this, they're that. They're always so demanding upon us. Have you seen our vice chancellor? Have you seen that he's never around on campus and he doesn't care about students? Have you seen my boss? Have you seen my team leaders? Have you seen my teacher? Do you know my teacher? Do you know my lecturer? Incompetent, doesn't even know the word, can't even do it. I could do a better job than them. <laughs> How many times do we say things like that? My connect group leader, what? They're younger than me. What do they know? <laughs> we struggle so much with us with this thing. You know, that if ever there was a place where our pride manifests or whether our obedience is, is in the area of our obedience and submission to local authorities. And what is the scripture telling us? It's telling us that our respect and obedience and honor for local authorities is as unto God. And it's a way that we demonstrate our obedience unto God. And isn't that a tough thing to do? Yeah. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to just go, I know you've got a lot of questions now going in your mind, but what if? Let's get to some but what ifs just now, all right? But let's, let's go to a few scriptures this morning and let's unpack this idea of submitting to authority. Let's really get a good biblical understanding of it. Let's look at some of the but what ifs and all the you know, provisions that go around that. And, and let's, my hope is that we're gonna leave here this morning with a new respect for authority, a new understanding of authority and the blessing that comes from submitting to authority. Because you're gonna learn this morning that there is great reward in that. Amen. So let's just pray before we get into the word. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe that your plans for us are good, but that everything good starts with your word. Lord, your word brings life, healing, direction. And so we treasure your word more than our daily bread. And we boldly confess that our minds are alert, our hearts are receptive, and we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, join me in Matthew chapter three. Let's go there. Who are the old school Bibles here this morning? Flipping pages. Come on, some old schools here. Um, we're gonna go look firstly at the life of Jesus, all right? Because he really is our model for submission to authority. And um, before we get to that passage in, in Matthew chapter three, I wanna just share another scripture with you about how Jesus models submission to authority. So as you know, the birth of Jesus, we've all been to the Christmas plays and we've, we've all like been to Christmas services and stuff. We know that when Jesus arrived, it was a big deal. Amen. 
When Jesus arrived on the earth, it was massive, guys. There was angels appearing to Mary and Joseph, and there was like, you know, three wise men traveling from the other ends of the earth, bringing these expensive gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There was a star that they were following that went exactly, showing them exactly where they needed to go. There were shepherds in the fields watching there flocks by night, amen? And, and all of a sudden, countless thousands of angels appeared in festive celebrations saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to his people. So that, and all the shepherds came running to the cave to find out where, where this Messiah was born. So there was all this, you know, it was a big event, right? And I mean, if you could look, try and imagine being like Mary and Joseph, what was like, the, what would you take out of that? This child is special, all right? This child is obviously God, this is the Messiah that's been born into the world. But as a parent, what would you do? Like, you'd, you would think, I need to protect the package. Amen? So a dream comes to Joseph warning him that Herod's going to kill all the babies. So what do they do? They, they escape to Egypt for, for some time. Then when it's all safe, an angel comes and tells him, no, it's safe, you can come back. You can see that there's a whole lot of energy and effort going around to making sure the package is kept safe. So you can understand and agree with me that when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem for their like annual trip and they lose him for more than three days, this is like the most epic parent fail we have ever seen in all of history. Like you had one job. Keep your eyes on the package. Look after this child. You know, people want to kill him. Stuff wants to go wrong. And all of a sudden, now you lose him for more than three days. Parents, if you've ever lost your kid for like a moment, you know how terrifying that is. After three days, where's your mind? Like, you know, you're going on to terrible things in that moment. But then they find Jesus eventually, all right? They find him in the temple. And he's hanging out with the teachers. He's sitting at their feet. He's learning. He's asking questions. Everybody's amazed at the wisdom of this 12-year-old in the synagogue. He doesn't even notice the fact that his parents are, you know, uh, <laughs> haven't been there. He's just sitting and learning. And they question him, Jesus, how could you do this to us? We've been frantic. We've been looking all over Jerusalem trying to find you. And he says to them, don't you know I should be in my father's house? And it's interesting because, you know, as a parent of teenagers or, you know, some of you with preteens, you know that there's this moment where you come to your kids and they like they just don't even understand your authority here. You're like, but we've spoken about this. You know, how can you just go and do this? And Jesus is quite like adamant, like, yeah, we have spoken about this. I told you I should be about my father's business. And there's this interesting parent-child moment taking place where sometimes we miss because we think, you know, this is just the Messiah. But this is a parent-child moment. This is like you've disobeyed us. Like you've just run, and he's like genuinely like, no, but this is where I should be. And it's almost intimating to me, like if I read that passage, I think Jesus is saying, like, leave me here. I'm fine, mom. I've got this, dad. Like, this is really okay. Stop fretting. But it's interesting that after that in Luke chapter 2, I think it is, it says that then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. <laughs> Why? Well, because the Bible commands that children are to obey their parents. But he's the Messiah. I mean, he knows like even 
probably more than them. Let's just be honest, even at that young age, you know? I mean, he's sitting at the feet of scribes, and the scribes are like, they're like amazed at the wisdom on this 12-year-old. Like, just the stuff that's coming out of him is incredible. Yet, he restrains all of that, and he submits to his parents. He follows them, and he's obedient to them. And the Bible says that Jesus then grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and with man. So even in his obedience, even though he thought like maybe it should be better if he was doing something else, he still obeyed his parents. But the result of that is a blessing that he grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man. And sometimes we think that if we don't submit, then we're not going to grow. We're not going to advance. We're not going to get to where we want to get. But God is like, no, submit and watch me do it anyway. Because he still works through authority. So Jesus submits to them. And then it's interesting, you're in Matthew 3, right? This is the moment where Jesus' ministry really starts. He's arriving to John the Baptist, and he's going to get baptized by John. But it's interesting to know that at this time, he is 30 years old. When he's going to John, he's 30. The Gospel of Luke tells us that he was 30 years old. And it's like 12 to 30. Jesus, where were you? All we know is that he was obedient to his parents in that time. But what we also do know is that everybody called him rabbi. And they would not have called him that unless he was qualified as a rabbi. And in order for you to qualify as a rabbi, you had to be 30 years old. In Numbers chapter 4 and verse 3, it tells us that the priests in the temple had to be at least 30 years old before they could start serving in the temple. David, a messianic figure, started reigning when he was only 30 years old. Joseph, a messianic figure, only started reigning when he was 30 years old. So there was an order in Scripture. There were prophetic types in Scripture. And there was the cultural norm of his day, which dictated that he needed to be 30 years old in order to hold that position, in order to be who he needed to be, which tells us that Jesus not only submitted to his parents, but he also submitted to processes, to his teaching, to the school that he was going through. He went through all the qualifications that are needed and required. He didn't take any shortcuts in the process. So he really was a fully-fledged qualified rabbi when he arrives at this moment at the Jordan to be baptized by John. Let's jump into that story. What does it say? It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. But John protested strenuously, no, 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 no. Having in mind to prevent him, saying, it is I who have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? I mean, can you imagine like you're teaching an amazing textbook to like a class full of students and then one day the author of the textbook arrives and enrolls in your class. <laughs> How would you feel? Like, I, you, know, you come up and, see, and they're like, no, no, no. You know, I'm a student here. <laughs> you know, this is how John feels right now in this moment. He's like, the writer of the book is here, you know. But look at Jesus' reply. He says, permit it just now, for this is the fitting way for both of us to fulfill all righteousness. I love that, a fitting way to fulfill all righteousness. What is Jesus saying? In other words, it's right for me to submit. It's right for me to humble myself. It's right for me to acknowledge your authority. Why? Well, because we have to see, we have to understand, if we're gonna get anything from this Bible, we must know that God is a God of order. 
He's a God of authority. And if he puts somebody in charge and that person's in charge, and even he then comes and submits. If he puts a law in place, then he even comes and submits to that law. Why? Because that demonstrates the integrity or the soundness of his kingdom. If he just made laws and he expected all of us to obey them and never obeyed them himself, then that would show that there's laws and then there's laws. <laughs> laws for you and laws for me, you know? And it would say that his kingdom is divided. And he said this, how can a kingdom that's divided against itself stand? All right, so, so in order to have a sound kingdom, he has to show that every law that he puts in place, he would be willing to obey as well. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did? I mean, he, he delegated authority of the earth to who? Mankind. So Jesus had to become a man in order to regain authority from the earth. So, I mean, he could have done it in any other way, but he had put a process in place where he said, no, this is in man's court, so he had to become a man. It shows that he's even willing to submit to the authorities that he has established in place. Why is it that it seems like God, John Wesley said this, why is it that it seems like God does almost, seems like God almost does nothing except in, in answer to believing prayer? Why is that? That he seems to do almost nothing in, unless it's through believing prayer. Well, it's because he's delegated authority to the earth, to you. He recognizes you as a sovereign. He's given you authority. So if you want to see him move, you have to say, Lord, I petition you. I ask you, would you come? Would you? And he's like, yes, I hear you. And you're giving me authority. I'm coming and I'm going to act and I'm going to move. How important is prayer, people? Prayer is this incredible process. Believing prayer is this incredible process of recognizing the power of God and how much we need it in the earth. We need Him to come and help. So Jesus then arrives on earth as a man in order to get back what man lost. And while He's on earth, He doesn't get any royal treatment. He submits to all the natural laws that He put in place. He could have just flown everywhere. But what do we see in the Gospels? He's walking everywhere. <laughs> sure, he walks on water, you know. <laughs> but we see, you know, we see that he submits to every temptation that even you and I had to go through. Every temptation. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that we're tempted, yet without sin. No royal treatment. And in all of that, he remains righteous. He remains a spotless son of God. He qualifies through all his own provisions that he put in place in order to have the highest place of authority. Listen, Jesus was holy before he arrived on earth, but on earth he proved it. And because of that, now he has been given the highest place of authority. He's the only one deserving of it. None of us. <laughs> Or even in the same category, <laughs> according to Jesus. But what does this say to us? This says that God is a God of order, structure, authority, and he flows through chains of authority. He acknowledges John here as the one who will pave the way for the Messiah. He submits to him. He gets baptized by John, even though he, could be, he should be doing it for John, right? 
but he submits to that process. And look at what happens in the, in, in the next couple of verses when he submits. What does it say there? It says, then he permitted him. And when Jesus was baptized, he went up at once out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. And he, John, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my son, my beloved in whom I delight. I want you to see in this moment that when we submit to authority and the structures that God has put in place, we open ourselves up to the blessing of God, to the voice of God, to the provision of God. Every time we submit, we gain. Every time we submit, look at, what, look at the result of that submission. It's like heaven's open, voices heard. It's like the affirmation of heaven comes because he's fulfilling all righteousness. He's obeying completely in every single way. Listen, if you want salvation, what do you need to do? You have to submit to Jesus. If you want to gain life, eternal life, you have to submit. You have to bend your knee and say, not me, but you. I'm not the Lord of my life. You have to give your life. We learned this in our first message, that the gospel is not only come and get life, but it's give your life and get life. He died so that those who live would not live for themselves, but for him. Who die. If you want life, you have to submit to Jesus. If we want the blessings that come from the Word of God, what do we need to do? Submit to the Word of God. Obey the Word of God. I mean, in Deuteronomy 28, it says that all these blessings will come upon you. Why? Because you obey the voice of your Lord God. Because you obey. Because you obey. Listen, Trish was talking about blessing this morning in, in, in the area of tithing. If we want the blessing of Malachi 3, where it says, and then I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. So much so there won't be room enough to, if we want that, don't you know that we have to then submit to the provision of that? I mean, does that not just make logical sense? It's like, I, you know, if I, if I want all the blessings at Unilever, you know, have you seen the cafeteria there, people? <laughs> and the views from up there on the hill. You know, I mean, if I want all of that, guess what? I've got to go and submit to whatever they're doing there, all right? And come in under that because I can't just come in there and start accessing what I want. Why? Because I don't have authority there. Why? Why do I not have authority? Because I didn't submit. You see, it's when you submit to God that we get the blessing of life. When it's when we submit to the Word of God, we get the blessings that come from the Word of God. Not only that, we get anointing as well. If you take Elisha and Elijah, what do you see about Elisha? Double portion on his life of anointing. Why? Because he had to submit to Elijah and follow Elijah around. He's like, I want double what you got. And he's like, well, you got to stick real close then. You've got to be so close. And this is Elisha, Elisha's just following Elijah around, just submission, serving, honoring, respecting, obeying, doing everything we see even the disciples doing with Jesus. You know, when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, what are the disciples doing? It's crowd organization, you know, handing out food. I mean, they're just serving. They're just 
submitting, they're just obeying, they're just following, and all of that, what is the end result? That they have position, that they then have authority, and that they then have anointing as well. We can't just get that stuff and live the way we want to live. Can you see that? I mean, look at the sons of Sceva for an example. <laughs> they grab a hold of this guy who's super demon-possessed, and they're like, oh, we're going to cast these demons out. Seven of them. We'll take this guy. And they're tuning and they're tuned this. We cast you out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches about. And the demon turns around and says, Jesus, I know. <laughs> I don't know how he's but Paul, I know. But who are you? And they get such a beating. They get stripped naked. They go running down the street for their lives. Shame, yeah. But you can't cast out demons in the name of like some other, somebody else's Jesus. You've got to have Jesus. He's got to be Lord of your life. You have to submit to Jesus. You, you want to come up against certain enemies, certain authorities. You've got to have a big Jesus on the inside. Amen? Can't just be somebody else's. So, but that, that Paul gained that because he was fully submitted to Jesus. If you want what he has, then come under him. If you want what the kingdom has, then come under the kingdom. If you want the blessings, casting out demons here. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, you, if you want the blessings of the word, come under the word. Have a heart to respect the authority of God's word, the authority of Jesus. James 4 verse 7 says this, submit yourselves to God, and then you can go out and resist the devil, and he's going to flee from you. He's going to flee from you. Why? Because you're representing authority. It's not like you've got anything. It's like you're representing the kingdom of God. In the same way that a traffic officer can stand in the middle of the road and order like one of those massive container trucks to stop by just raising their hand, right? Why? Are they stronger than the truck? No. What have they got? They don't have power. They've got authority. They've got that badge that says SAPS on it. And that truck knows. Even if it's this like tiny traffic lady, stop, you know? <laughs> that truck's going to go, Stop right there. Why? Because she represents the South African government, the South African police force. That badge speaks of higher things. So you want authority and you want anointing and you want to see breakthrough in your life. You need to submit to God first. Make Him the authority of your life. Amen? So I want us to just grasp for a moment here just how God's kingdom works because we're so tainted by this world system. You know, here we are, so like doubtful, suspicious, angry, you know, even like disrespectful towards authority. But here is this kingdom, and here is this gospel that functions in a particular way. And it's asking us to enter into this messy world and not live like the world, but live like God is true. Live like this gospel is true. And I know that's like, it's gonna, it's like it blows our minds because suddenly there's like, well, but what if, but what if? I mean, take a look at the scripture. Take a look at this one. This is the controversial one. We'll use this as our springboard. Colossians 3. Are you okay? Yeah. Colossians 3 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it. 
Not only when their eye is on you and to their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Woo! Not for human masters, not for management, not for that team leader who just got it out for you. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So we have to take this gospel understanding, this gospel message, and we need to live it out in a broken and fallen world. And this is why it says in Philippians that then you will shine like lights in the world. Why? Because everybody else looks at a scenario like this and goes, no way, I ain't submitting to you. Who do you think you are? I know better than you. I've got more training than you. I, I can do better than you. You're not even around. I have to, and you know, we've all got this like, I don't know if I'm even doing that right. You got that, like, what is that? <laughs> what is that? It's like, don't you? <laughs> What's going on? Now, you know, obviously this passage raises some, con some con concerns. It's like, okay, is the Bible condoning slavery? Are we just to be like this doormat? Like just, you know, unrighteous authority just walks all over us and we like, bless you, Jesus loves you. Are we not to do anything about the injustice that we see, especially in leadership in, in the various structures? Can you just take those questions for a moment, just put them in a little box, go like this, and put it in a box, okay? And just look at what the scripture is inviting us into. Okay, just put that all in your box and look at this. It says there, we don't work for men. We work for God. Therefore, we are the best employees because we do it with sincerity of heart, even when they're not watching. We're not like stealing time on social media when we're at work because hey, the boss isn't there or hey guys, let's do a network game, boss isn't here or we're not stealing, we're not you know, abusing our time. Or so. we, we, we're doing what we should be doing even when nobody is watching, we're the best. The best you can. You want Christians to work for you? They're the best. Why? Because they do it like, like not even for you. They like they're working for God. It's like and they and they're treating you like that. Like these people. Who are these people? All right. And not only that, it says there's a reward that He gives. There's a reward. So it's inviting us into a whole new way of looking at life, a way where we see. God in everything that we're doing, and everything we do is worship to God. Forget the world, forget the fact that there's this boss that I'm serving, forget this whatever, this management, whatever, all of this, this is for you, Jesus. I'm working for you. I'm just doing this as worship for you. They can turn up the temperature, they can do whatever they like, but I'm doing it for you. This is worship. This is inviting us into something beautiful, something profound, something radical, Something that the world needs. Otherwise, we're just going to have this continual stalemate of like this, those in authority saying, people never do this. And people in authority going, but you never do this. And I'm waiting for you to act. And well, I'm waiting for you to act. And no, the Bible's like, no, come on. Let's take the kingdom in here and just live for Jesus. Just live for Jesus. And it's so important that we just get that from the scripture before we go and like, what about if, 
you know, what if your leader's Hitler? You know, then, then what are we supposed to do now? You know, like just before we go there, like let's, let's just capture what it's inviting us into. Why is that? Well, because often in our social justice campaigns and crusades and our, you know, all our rights that we fight for, we forget two things. Often, we forget these two things. Firstly, that actually God's in charge at the end of the day and that he will give to every person what they deserve. That vengeance is the Lord's, that God sees it all. It's not like my injustice or the way I'm being treated is not going unnoticed. God is there. He's present. And that boss is going to get what he deserves, not from me, from God. God is actually there. Amen? When we, we, we sometimes forget that. Sometimes we're like, no, I need to act because God's not doing anything. No, no, God is there. And he's seeing everything and he's accounting everything. Okay? And also, sometimes we forget this when we pick up these like social justice campaigns that we enter into, my rights, my rights, sometimes we forget that actually rebellion started with Satan. It was when he attacked the throne of God. Satan has some favorite things. It's disrespect, it's dishonor, it's rebellion, it's disobedience. Those are like, those are his things. And it's amazing how quick those things become our things. <laughs> when we step into campaigns where we're trying to fight for our rights and our better conditions of whatever. And we need to be careful that in this process, we're not a tool in his hands, but we remain a tool in God's hands. Amen? Amen. So before we go and protest our rights and before we stand up for justice, let's ask some questions. Are we really those excellent employees? Are we really the ones that the bosses really want us to have? Are we really honoring and respecting everyone in, in those positions? Are we? Are we really those model citizens that you can come and look to at our lives? And, and the reason why we're engaging in this is not just because we want our rights or our comforts or better conditions or whatever. It's because actually we want to show more honor and we want to show more respect. And it's not because we're just trying to further our own agenda, but because we're actually thinking about the salvation of everyone and the progression of God's kingdom and everything. Let's like check our motives, amen? amen. So it's like, I, I can't really go into it. We don't have really time, but the Bible doesn't condone slavery in this passage. It's better to actually put the word servant or employee in there, okay? And the Bible doesn't say we need to be these like doormats and like just, just accept injustice, there are countless scriptures, I don't have time to go into this morning, but talk about how we need to stand up for justice. Let the oppressed go free. We need to uh, serve those who can't serve themselves. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. And, 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 and actually mission for the kingdom of God on earth, for righteousness and justice to permeate our schools, our governments, our everything. There, it does put this mandate on us as Christians. But let's make sure that we're ticking the first box. Before, <laughs> that was classic. <laughs> so while we're fighting for justice in the world, 
let's make sure we never lose honor and respect for authority in the process. To take up arms, to take up, destroy things, to be violent, to be aggressive, to be disrespectful is to be of Satan. I'm just gonna call it what it is. And guys, you can see that we've got a huge way to grow in that area, a massive way to grow. If we're gonna challenge authority, we're gonna do it in the spirit of Christ. And we're gonna make sure that our obedience is still right in place, that our humility is in place, and everything we do is in honor and in respect, not just in lips, but in actions as well. Amen? Amen? This is a high calling that Jesus is calling us to. There is one exception to disobeying authority in Scripture, one exception. And that is when authority disregards the Word of God and mandates that we must sin against God. So there's a few examples in Scripture where Pharaoh orders the midwives to kill the Israelite babies when they're born. And the, and the midwives are like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And then what does God do? He blesses the midwives because they disobeyed man, but they obeyed him. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3, get thrown in the fire. Why? Because they're not going to bow down and worship an idol. Daniel gets thrown in the lion's dead. Why? Because he was going to go and pray every day, even though it was illegal to pray. He says, I've got to pray. I'm going to pray to my God. If you want to throw me in jail, throw me to lions, whatever, I, I will disobey authority. Why? Because it's coming against the word of God. In, in the book of Acts, Peter and the other apostles disobey the Pharisees and the, and the Sanhedrin the, the, who told them they can't preach this gospel. And they said this, is it right for us to obey God? And, does, and is it right for us to obey man and not God? We, we have to obey God. And they carried on preaching the gospel, sure. And then eventually they died for it all, you know. But, but there is a place where we do disobey authorities and structure, and that is when it violates the word of God. And this is where, like, things now get a little bit gray. Because now there is this, like, provision, okay? <laughs> and it's because of the word of God. And so it's like, then, okay, so, okay, let's, let's ask, like, what if government says... We're not allowed to spank our children. And the word of God says this. Do we spank anyway? <laughs> and what if the government tells us that we're not allowed to dress people as male or female anymore? Yeah, we're getting close now, hey? <laughs> and what if the government tells us that unvaccinated people are not allowed on campus anymore or in church? Or they have to have like their own service or something. Now, can you, can you see like some of these, this is where it starts to get gray. This is where we start to like go, ah, oh, do we disobey now? Do, what do we do? We saw this during the COVID pandemic. Many churches were like, ah, boy, we can't stop us meeting. We're going to meet. This is preventing us from worship. Then other, other churches are like, no, we, we can move online. Let's keep people safe. You know, so it becomes this like, when do we obey? When do we not? And that's why we're in church. <laughs> because in the council of many, and with hearts that are aligned to firstly obedience and submission and respect for authority, we tick that box first. We then act and make the decisions that we need to act, make. Amen? All right, that was cool. I got lots of amens there. 
I'll just leave it there. Jesus, in his time, was questioned. What about taxes? And listen, he was living in a time where it was like they had taxes on taxes on taxes. And what did Jesus say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And he said this. He said, if someone forces you to go one mile with you, what he was referring to was a Roman law which allowed Roman soldiers to stop any like Israelite and say, hey, you need to carry all this luggage for me, but they weren't allowed to make them carry it indefinitely. They could just carry it for one mile. So what they would do is they would find a Hebrew, eh, eh, come, Hebrew, come, carry luggage, one mile, let's go. They'd walk one mile, put it down, you're free to go. They'd find another one, eh, eh, Hebrew, come here, come here. So this was like, like a way of taunting them as a society. This was like unjust. This was like something like Jesus was like, you know what, if these guys make you go one mile, go two. I just want us to catch the heart of Jesus for a moment. Like we Jesus followers, amen? Christians, amen? Little Jesus here, all right? Someone is, is giving you something burdensome, something a little bit irrational, something that seems like difficult, but it's inconsequential to your obedience to God, then err on the other side and give them even more than what they want. In that way, show that you are perfect sons of God. I know that's tough. You know, our, this is Roger Pierce was Pastor Roger in, in Johannesburg, our leader of our, our movement in Southern Africa. He was telling me the story recently, and he was saying, you know what, Wayne, I went to this wedding, <laughs> and it was like a fancy wedding. It was, looked really cool, and he said, you know, I, I don't know if I dressed like appropriately for the wedding, like, because everyone was like super smart, and I was, I was smart, you know, but like, not super smart. Anyway, he arrives early. There's like, you know, people are just milling around, getting waiting for the ceremony, and there's people having a few drinks and stuff like that, and it's a beautiful setting. And this one person walks up to him and says, hi, um, can you get me a Coke? So <laughs> he's the minister. He's going to, like, do the ceremony in a moment. And somebody's coming up to him and saying, hey, can you? Yeah, he thinks he's the waiter. What would you do in that moment? Oh, sorry, you're mistaken. I'm not a waiter here. I, I, I think that guy is. He went and got him a Coke. Served it to him, poured it for him. And 10 minutes later, he got up in front of everyone and said, welcome to the wedding. He said he looked at that guy. The guy couldn't have got smaller in his seat. He was... It's just shrinking. It was just melting. There was a scripture where Jesus said, you heap coals when you bless your enemies. You're like heaping coals on their heads. What he was referring to was the process by which silver is refined. Silver is like hard, but when you put it on coals, guess what? It melts. It becomes soft. So and what he was, wasn't saying was like, you heap coals on them. Yeah, feel that. Shrink in your seat. No, what he was saying is that process of blessing those who are even difficult and hard to you, you melt their hearts and you make them more receptive to him and to the gospel, which is actually the ultimate goal here. We want everybody to get saved. So listen, we've got incredible power as the children of God even to submit and show honor 
when it's tough. Amen? I'll leave you with this picture. It's a rowing team. All right? You can stand to your feet. It's a rowing team. And can you agree that that is like an incredible picture of just unity and, you know, everybody just like in alignment. And, you know, just I was reading a little bit about rowing in order to put that picture up there. And I'm just like, there is so much that goes into just getting everybody to pull at the same time, guys, to get your oar at the right moment. It's just to follow the command of the person in the front of the boat who's giving you the timings, you know, and to move as a team. Listen, is all of that possible if, like we see in Judges, everyone did what was right in his own eyes? That would, that would never happen. If everyone's like, I want to pull, for, I want to go slower. I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to, 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 I want to. Isn't that not the world we live in? Don't you tell me, well, I'm going to, I'm going to work in this job, but as long, only if you keep doing what I want you to do. I'll give you respect. I'll give you obedience, but only if you be the perfect leader. If you be the perfect leader and if you don't have any faults, then yeah, sure, I'll surrender obedience. I'll surrender my honor. What is it in us that is manifesting in that moment? Would it not rather be possible if we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Ephesians 5.21. Listen, our sports teams will go further and do more. What is submission? So it's, it's unity. You know, in order for the, the worship team to be in unity, they had to submit to authority of the song and the right key. Otherwise, they wouldn't have unity. This is God's kingdom. God's kingdom is built on unity. Where where does unity come from? It's submitting to Him as Lord and Savior. As we submit and come into alignment with authority, our sports teams can go so much further. Our companies can do so much better. But if we're always complaining and arguing and fighting with management and fighting with this person and backbiting this person and all this division, are our businesses actually going to go anywhere? If we're just sitting there going, well, when is management going to do what I want? Well, why don't you go and show some honor, show some respect, and raise your issues in a Christ-like way that will win them rather than sitting there and think you know it all? Our businesses would do so much better. It was interesting. I looked at a study that said that, I was like, what are the most obedient nations in the world? And I went and got like the top 10 nations of the world. You know what's interesting? Most safe, most prosperous nations are nations where the people are most obedient. (laughs) South Africa will be a great place if we just obey the laws. Could you just agree? We would be like living in a wonderful place. It will be safe, will be prosperous, our businesses will be safe and prosperous, but a lot of that is linked to just our obedience. Can we submit? Can we come under authority? Can we respect authority? Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermon. Be blessed.